Hey there, this is Sean McMahon. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast and thanks for supporting the ministry by lending your ears, your minds, hearts, all that good stuff. Don't be afraid to share this here message with a friend or a family member, even a stranger. Have at. It's not like it's going to bite. These messages are recorded live at the Community Baptist Church of Gayhead and Aquino on Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and the good old U.S. of A. If you're ever in town for a visit or suddenly find yourself shipwrecked on the southwest side of our lovely little island, climb up the clay cliffs and come on down to our little old chapel for our weekly 10 a.m. service. No need to wear anything special, just bring your special self. May God bless you. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Then Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful as he promised to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Now, these are the words of the Magnificat. This is the song that Mary sings after she says amen to the angel Gabriel, when she says amen to becoming the mother of God. She goes a few months later and visits her cousin Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist. And it's in the presence of her cousin Elizabeth that Mary sings this song, the Magnificat. The Magnificat has been set to music many times in history, and the best of composers have such a reverence for this canticle of Mary that their Magnificats are often the best of their major works. Bach's Magnificat towers over his other music, as does Heinrich Schütz's, and even in the modern day, the Estonian composer Arvo Pert's Magnificat is his best work, bar none. Now, this song of Mary is special because it's so much like a psalm, and yet it's almost entirely original. So where did it come from? Well, at the beginning of his gospel, Luke says, Many have undertaken to compose an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by the initial eyewitnesses and servants of the word. And then he goes on to say, Therefore, I'm going to collect these eyewitness accounts and give you my gospel. So Luke is saying, My account comes from eyewitnesses. The Magnificat, therefore, is included in this. Someone heard this song, right? Someone listened to Mary sing this beautiful song, and someone told Luke about it, okay? So who were the eyewitnesses to Mary's song, the Magnificat? Well, if I had to guess, and this is just speculation, I would say there are at least two good candidates. And first would be Mary herself, of course, but perhaps another would be her cousin Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. I mention Elizabeth because Mary sings the Magnificat in her presence, but right before she does it, it says, Luke says that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. It says that in Luke 1.41. So just a guess, 
but that would seem like the kind of information that only Elizabeth would know, unless she told Mary, and Mary later conveyed this information to Luke, but otherwise, that could have been something that Elizabeth told Luke, right? At any rate, this song, if you think about it, this song had to be catchy because Luke put together his account quite long after Mary sang it to Elizabeth. Scholars date Luke to between A.D. 66 and 80 or so, so whoever was relating it to Luke had this tune stuck in her head for 66 to 80 years. Well, a catchy song, and it's a prophetic one at that, from the Mother of Christ. It shouldn't surprise us that there's a catchy prophetic song coming from the mother of Christ because this woman is the descendant of David, the harp-playing singer-songwriter king who wrote the Psalms, right? So Luke considered it of utmost importance that all generations should know this song. So today we're going to look at what it says. So here's the first line. My soul magnifies the Lord. Well, right off the bat, this is a special thing to say. To magnify means to make great, to exalt. She says, my soul makes the Lord great. My soul exalts the Lord. Well, St. Paul says the same thing about his body in Philippians 1.20. He says, my body is glorifying the Lord. And he meant that his suffering, his trials were all to glorify and exalt God. What Mary is saying here is beyond saying that her body as the instrument of the Lord's incarnation magnifies the Lord. She's saying her soul magnifies her Lord. Think about this. Her son, Jesus, the Lord, said that of all the commandments, the greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your what? Soul and with all your mind. That's from Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. So Mary is obedient to this law. She's fulfilling this law. She's obedient to the will of God, saying, Amen, when he asked that she bear the Son of God in her womb. But God did not merely wish to use Mary's body as an instrument. Heaven forbid, don't let anyone say such a vulgar thing about the Lord or the mother of God, that God was just using her body. Mary herself, body, mind, and soul, was holy. She was chosen. She was chosen for, and she assented to, the special ministry of being the holy tabernacle for the presence of God himself in the flesh, and not just that, to be the mother of of God. She raised this child. It wasn't just her womb that was in use and then she was discarded and thrown away. She was the mother of the Lord, right? Let's continue. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Well, more than obedient, it says, Mary is joyful. Many women in our society feel afraid when they find themselves pregnant unexpectedly or even expectantly. Oh my God, what am I going to do? Is it going to hurt? What am I getting myself into? Mary felt joy. And it wasn't just any joy. It wasn't just a joy of heart, but a joy of spirit. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is a spiritual joy, born of prayer. She is our model for Paul's exhortation in 1 Thessalonians when he says, Rejoice at all times, pray without ceasing. See how he puts these things together in chapter 5, verses 16 following. Okay, verse 48 of the Magnificat. For he has looked with favor on the humble state of his servant. So the word for humble state doesn't quite mean humility. A better word might be humiliation. The rabbis, when they translated Isaiah into Greek, they used the same word when Isaiah spoke of Christ in chapter 53. They said, in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice in his humiliation. So Christ's passion is called humiliation. In using this word, the Spirit was prophesying through Mary. 
that she would also partake in Christ's passion, in his humiliation, albeit in her own way, of course. The Spirit would later say the same thing through the priest Simeon in Luke chapter 2 when he said to Mary, if you will recall, he said, a sword will pierce your heart as well. He said that in verse 35 of Luke chapter 2. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. That's the next verse of the Magnificat. These words are an echo of sorts of Psalm 54 about the queen mother of King David. It says, I will commemorate your name through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. These words have proven so true. So we know that Mary was a true prophet, like her ancestor David and, of course, her son Jesus. They spoke and it was true. And no word out of their mouths failed, right? In the earliest days of the church, the apostle St. John dedicated no less than five church feasts to Mary, whom they called the Blessed Theotokos, which means the mother of God. The mother of God, not merely the mother of Jesus. Of course, she's the mother of Jesus, but Jesus is God the Son. And so she is the mother of God in the flesh. Amen. In the first three centuries of the church, the believers asked for her prayers of protection with the following prayer. Under your patronage, they said, we take refuge, Holy Mother of God. Our petitions do not despise in necessities, but of all dangers, deliver us always, glorious virgin and blessed. They called her blessed. All generations call her blessed. From the earliest days, look in your church history, she was venerated. St. Ambrose in the 4th century said that she is regarded with honor, quote, as the temple of God and not the God of the temple, end quote. So that's not to say that she's worshipped as God. She's not. She, among the other saints, but chiefly among the saints, is given this special place as the temple of God because, of course, God the Son tabernacled in her womb first, okay? All the generations call her blessed. She is regarded with honor as the temple of God, not the God of the temple. And of course, to this day, currently in the world, the most popular prayer is the rosary. The rosary, if you're not familiar with the rosary, it binds together the Our Father with the Glory Be, with the Creed, and of course, the Hail Mary. And the Hail Mary quotes first the words of the angel Gabriel in Luke chapter 1, where he says, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. And then it adds... Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. So according to the prophecy of Mary in the Magnificat, these prayers which bless Mary among all women, these prayers will continue through all generations. Amen. The word of God never fails and was speaking through Mary. Verse 49 of the Magnificat, For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Though she is poor, Though she shares in the passion and humiliation of her son, she blesses the name of the Lord. And she says that these things are not just great things that are done through her, through her womb, right? She's not just being used by God. These are great things that are done for her, she says. It says, the mighty one has done great things for me. And that's because she recognizes that her son is also her Lord and her Savior, who will die and rise by the will of God for her sake and the sake of the world. And in her embrace of humiliation and suffering, she is our model with Christ and the apostles and all the saints of redemptive suffering, uniting our suffering with the cross of Christ to play our role in the sanctification of our world in the church. Amen. Verse 50 and 51 says, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. 
He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Okay, his arm. What's his arm? His arm is another way of saying his right hand. And from the beginning, the one at God's right hand is the word of God, the one by whom the Father has accomplished all of his great deeds. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. That's right from the tippy top of the Gospel of John, right? Well, check this out. Deuteronomy 26, verse 8 says that the Lord brought Israel's children out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. The arm, right? Well, it wasn't Moses who led the Exodus, right? Was Moses the arm? No, it was God himself who led Israel out of Egypt. Yet see how he first appeared to Moses. It says in Exodus 3, verse 2, the angel, the messenger of the Lord, appeared to him in a blazing fire from within a bush. You're going to see this messenger of God appears not just in the burning bush in the Old Testament, not just the angel calling Moses from uh, the burning bush, but he also appears as the destroying angel on the night of Passover. He's the pillar of fire and smoke leading them in the desert. The Lord appears to Abraham in human form, right? He appears to Jacob. He wrestles with him. Joshua sees him in human form. Who is this messenger who keeps appearing to the Old Testament patriarchs, speaking the words of God and speaking in the first person as God, right? Well, this is the pre-incarnate word of God acting as a messenger. Look what Jude says in, in the epistle of Jude, chapter 1, verse 5. It says, Jesus delivered his people out of the land of Egypt. Jesus, the word of God, is the mighty hand and the outstretched arm of the mighty one, the holy one of Israel. Amen. And it can be truly said in Hebrews that the word of God is a double-edged sword. The word of God, Jesus, is the one who judges those who hate him, as well as the one who saves and shows mercy to those who fear him from generation to generation. And that's exactly what Mary says here. His mercy extends to those who fear him. He performs mighty deeds with his arms. He scatters those who are proud in the thoughts of her heart. And this is what Jude reminds us. Jesus didn't just deliver his people out of the land of Egypt. He also destroyed those who did not believe. Jesus, the arm of God, the word of God, is a living double-edged sword who judges those who hate him and shows mercy to those who fear him from generation to generation. Verse 52 of the Magnificat says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has exalted the humble. Now, Mary actually is speaking pretty plainly here. She's actually even speaking politically. Now look at it this way. In placing the anointed one, the anointed Mashiach, the king of Israel, in her womb, into Mary's womb, God is casting aside the ruling family of the day, the Herods. These were the kings of Israel at the time that Christ was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. The Herods were the client rulers under Caesar. Theirs was a false kingdom. It was an aberration in Israel. But Mary is saying that God is restoring the kingdom of David, and he's doing so in Mary, who called herself what? The humble. And she's also calling her son Jesus humble. This is why she says he has exalted the humble, right? And remember, in the Davidic kingdom, the king sits upon his throne, but besides him on a throne sits not his wife, but his mother. So God cast down the Herodian king and queen mother and is raising up Jesus and Mary to the thrones of Israel. The next verse, number 53, He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. 
Okay, in revealing Christ to Israel, God is fulfilling his promise to them that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled in the kingdom of God because he's sending the king, right? But as for the rich, Jesus taught, it's harder for them to enter into that kingdom than a camel through the eye of a needle. As Abraham told the rich man in Christ's parable of the rich man and Lazarus, he said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony in Hades. So this is the judgment and justice of God. He fills the hungry with good things, but he sends the rich away empty because they get their good things in their own time, right? And the final verse, uh, the final two verses of the Magnificat, 54 and 55, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful, as he promised to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Mary closes her song celebrating the Lord who promised wonderful things to Israel, the seed of Abraham. And it says not that he's going to help his servant Israel, but that he has helped his servant Israel. Because in placing Jesus in her womb, he's fulfilled all of his promises to the fathers, to Abraham and all his descendants, yes, but also to Abraham's ancestors, because the promise goes all the way back through Noah to Seth to Adam himself that there would be redemption, right? And the promise to David, that there would be a descendant of David to sit on the throne of Israel forever. Well, the one in Mary's womb is the one who would sit on this throne, and he's God the Son, whom the Father appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. Hebrews 1-2. And so, it's not that God will help us, it's that God has helped us all. He's remembered to be merciful. He fulfilled his promise to the children whom he first placed in Eden. Eden was the first temple of God out of which Adam and Eve were banished, but with the promise that he would restore all things. And this he did firstly in the womb of Mary, in whom God the Son tabernacled, and in whom God first restored the earth into a temple once again as it was in Eden, a place where God himself dwelt, even as a little baby growing in the belly of his mother. And these are just a few of the glorious mysteries revealed in the Magnificat as sung by the Blessed Mother of God. Thank you for listening to the Sean McMahon Podcast. Visit SeanSellickMcMahon.com for more information about his ministry. For more about Sean's music, please visit workmansong.com